Well, welcome to Calvary Vista at Home, our Wednesday night service, and so glad that you have joined us tonight. And once again, we are talking about loving God. This is part two of our Loving God series, and tonight we're talking about loving God with our soul. And I have some uh, friends with me up here uh, this evening to join me in this time. And so to my left, this is Mike Gilbert. Mike is uh, one of our elders here at the church. Uh, Say hi, Mike. Hello. Hi, Mike. (laughs) And uh, to my right is our children's ministry director, Kathy Frizee. Hi, guys. Thanks for being here, Kathy. And then, of course, uh, once again, we have Pete Denham with us, our worship pastor. And uh, thanks for being here tonight, guys. So, So good to be here. Yeah, looking forward to this conversation. And I was just saying that these are three of the most uh, emotional people that I know and uh, in a very good way. And that's what um, part of what loving God with our soul is all about. So if you want to turn to Mark chapter 12, that's going to be our text tonight. And I'm going to pray our uh, uh, for our discussion this evening. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for loving us. And Lord, we want to learn what it looks like and what it means to love you better, to love you with our our whole person. And so that's the purpose of this series, this study that we're in right now. And so, God, we pray tonight that you would um, bless this time, that you'd be in this time, that, that your Holy Spirit would just be ministering through this conversation, and we ask these things now in Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 12, I'm going to begin reading in verse 28. It says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, and this is speaking about the conversation that Jesus had been having with the Pharisees, He asked Jesus this question, which is the first commandment of all? Matthew's gospel puts it, what is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus answered him and said, the first of all the commandments is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And then he said this, This is the first commandment, and the second is like it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, the Bible tells us, it lays out for us, that there in the Pentateuch, in the Old Testament, there's actually 613 laws that were given to Moses for the people of Israel. And ten glorious commandments, we know as the Ten Commandments. And this is what that scribe was asking about and referring to. It's like, okay, out of the 613, you know, which is the greatest? And, and Jesus answers him, but he doesn't just leave it at that one, but he really defines for us here what it means to love God, that we are to love him in four ways, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Now, last time, if you were with us, you remember that we looked at what it means to love God with our hearts. And the idea in the heart was our desires. It, it's loving God enthusiastically. It's, it's, it's speaking of our passion for God. It's making our relationship with God and our service to God uh, and our desire to glorify God our number one priority. It's that seek first the kingdom of God. And so that in a nutshell is what it means to love God with all of your heart. But tonight we're going to be talking about what does it mean to love him with your soul? And the word that is used the most for in the Old Testament for soul is the word nephesh in the um, Hebrew. And soul in scripture is often referred to as our very breath or that which represents our life. I'll give you an example. In, in Genesis 35, verse 18, when Rachel was giving birth to, to Benjamin, it says that her soul was departing from her, meaning that her life 
was leaving her, that she actually died while giving birth to him. And so the, the word soul is often used in that way, speaking of just our life, our breath. But it's also a word that speaks of the seat of our appetites or the seat of our emotions. And, you know, last week when we were talking about the heart, we talked about how the heart could be referred to as the control center of our life, that it would be like, you know, if it was NASA, this would be, the heart would be mission control. Well, I think we could think of the soul in this way, that the soul is speaking about the feeling center of our lives. We might say that it's referring to the feeling part of a human being. And that's the way the word nephesh is used in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, when the Lord says, you know, this is the first and greatest commandment, that you should love the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul. As he's talking about our feelings and emotions. Now, what's interesting, though, when you get into the Greek culture in the New Testament, you know, the New Testament was written in Greek, the Greeks kind of expand on this idea. And the word in the Greek for soul is the word suke. And it has an even deeper meaning. It's not just the feelings and the emotions, but it's also speaking about our personality. And I really like that. I think that really helps define this even more because each one of us has been uniquely wired by the Lord. God has given each one of us a unique personality, and your personality is going to include your feelings and your emotions, but the idea is that every single one of us is different. In fact, one of my favorite authors, Mark Batterson, he refers to it as the soul print, that you have a fingerprint, but you also have a soul print, that that's like, that's who you are, that's your personality. In fact, let me read this uh, quote to you. He says, Uniqueness, this is from his book, Soul Print, uniqueness is God's gift to you, and uniqueness is your gift to God. I like that. He says, you were created to worship God in a way that no one else can. How? By living a life that no one else can live. Your life. You have a unique destiny to fulfill, and no one can take your place. Now, when I think of that in that way, I think that that adds just incredible, fresh perspective to Ephesians 2.10, where we're told that we are God's workmanship, his poema, his, his work of art, and that we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the idea there is that each one of us are God's workmanship, but each one of us have been uniquely created by him and uniquely created in Christ. And so I want to love God with my unique soul print. I want to love him in the way that I have been wired. You know, uh, let me give you an example. So I am an Enneagram one. For those of you who like to do the Enneagram, the Enneagram is the, the reformer. And um, so there's just, I'm wired this way. I've been this way my whole life is there's just this striving for excellence. In fact, that's one of our core values here at the church is, is excellence. That we're to love God, you know, with our, in, in excellence. And for me personally, to love God with my soul what, what that means in my mind is that he deserves my best effort, you know? That's part of how I'm wired. It's part of how I'm, uh, I'm uh, geared, you know, how God's just wired me that way. And so um, just to make this super practical and give you kind of a, a perception into, into Pastor Rob, you know, um, some of you who have been watching You've been, our services, you've, you've maybe have seen or been aware that we, over the last month, were having streaming issues, okay? And, you know, it would glitch, and it was going in and out, and some things weren't working. And, again, for me, I'm loving God with my soul, you know, excellent, my personality, so I'm wired. It's driving me crazy. You know, I'm watching that, and my soul is literally aching, you know, inside of me because of that. And then I immediately go into fix-it mode, you know. I'm calling friends of mine, other pastors, hey, are you having any problems with this? You know, and figuring out, okay, how can we fix this? Um, because 
part of, for me, how I'm wired to love God with my soul, my personality is I, I want everything to be as, as good as it can possibly be. You know, I want God to get maximum effort from me. And when things aren't right, my soul, it aches, you know. That part of my personality, the way God has, it has wired me. And so we could say this, the soul is the part of you that feels deeply. The soul is the knot you feel in the pit of your stomach when you're nervous. It's the overwhelming grief that you feel when tragedy happens. In Job chapter 14, verse 22, he describes the feeling of pain in his flesh and mourning in his soul, you know? And it's, it's two different things. It's like my flesh is hurting right now because I have this boil or whatever, but my soul, my in, inwards, it's, it's aching as well. David in Psalm 42, 1 um, is talking to himself and he says, soul, why are you downcast, you know? So it's the yearning that you feel deep inside that can create this insatiable appetite for something or someone. Again, the psalmist declares in Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. And he says, My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. It's that feeling that you have inside of you for excitement and anticipation about something. Again, the psalmist in Psalm 130 verse 5 says, my soul waits in hope or expectation. And so we see this, this picture of the soul, its personality, its emotion, it's, it's, it's the feeling side of us. So here's a question. I want to just begin our, our discussion here. And uh, any one of you can, can jump in on this is, so why? Why is it important then that, that we love God with our emotions and our personality? Anybody want to jump in on that? I'll jump in. I think, it's, I think it's crucial because when I think of loving God, I think the highest form of loving God is our worship of him. And so if we want to talk about loving God with our emotions um, in conjunction with worship, worship's about surrender. So I think you know, bringing our emotions, bringing how we've been uniquely wired and made by God to him like on a silver platter and surrender, saying, here are my emotions, here is my personality, I'm giving it back to you. You brought up the Mark Batterson quote, you know, know, he's uniquely uh, made us, and and we are to uniquely uh, give it back to him and and love, you know, and and, and surrender. And so I think that that's crucial to our worship of him. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else want to add to that at all, or...? I think about the uh, just the fact that we have a personal relationship with Christ. You know, yeah. that's that's who we are. We're supposed to. It's personal. It's unique, and and that uniqueness is is shown with that personality type. You know, and the mm-hmm. way that we can honor God, the way that we worship Him, needs to be done in such a way to just glorify Him in that way. It's the relationship, and God wants that relationship, and He does it on purpose. Yeah. You know, I see that purpose in it as well to make us all unique because of the fact that he wants to dive in into the details of your life. Mm-hmm. He wants to know those little things. He wants to have that conversation. He wants to walk with you in the cool of the day, you know, yeah. all the time. And I just, you see that and you see God's love and you see that within relationship. And it's just yeah. a beautiful thing. It is. That is. That's a great picture. And, and I love that, you know, both of you bring up the just, it's, it's our unique way. You know, it's part of the reason why he says to love him with our soul is that he's hitting on the uniqueness there. And again, I love this quote from Batterson. He says this, all of us, because we have this tendency to resist that. You know, we want to we, we want to be uniform. We want to be like everybody else. We have a tendency to fight against, you know, who we are, so to speak. And he says this, all of us start out as one-of-a-kind originals, but too many of us end up as carbon copies of someone else. Instead of celebrating our uniqueness and the uniqueness of others, we too often are threatened by it. We forfeit our uniqueness because we want to fit in. Instead of daring to be different, we sacrifice, and he uses this, our soul prints on the altar of conformity. 
This is huge. It's a powerful it's statement. But, but I think another reason why God says to love, love me with your soul, your emotions, your feelings, your personality, is because he's saying to us, I want you to be real. I want you to be real with me, you know? I don't want you to fit into somebody else's mold. I want you to just be you. I love it. And I think, too, if I can just pit, you know, pitch in here, think of Jesus calling his disciples and how different every single one of those men were. And, you know, we talked about Peter last week. I'm going to bring him up again. But, you know, <laughs> Peter's a passionate person. I, you know, he was rebuked by the Lord a few times, but you never, you never read Jesus saying, Peter, why can't you be more like Andrew? Or why can't you be more like James? Like, conform. He's never challenging how Peter's uniquely made. He's just inviting him to bring how he's uniquely made into submission under his lordship as king. Yep. Yep. Amen. Amen. And even as the goal of the Lord is to make us all, you know, conform us into the image of Christ... But even in that, and this is what you see in the disciples, it's not an image of everybody the same. I like to think of it this way. It takes all of us to make a one perfect picture of who Jesus is. You know, me conformed to Christ you know, in the way God has wired me is only going to be one little fraction, you know, of who he is. It's, so it's the collectiveness of all of us. And, and, and so let's just talk for a few minutes here about this idea of God wanting us to be real with him, to um, love him with our emotions, our feelings. And um, I think in that we realize this, that God made us, think about this for a minute. He made us to be people who experience life. He's given us taste buds. He's given us the the capacity to be able to smell and and to um, touch. I mean, imagine if you had no taste buds, how, how horrible that would be. Like food... Eating food would just be a necessity. It wouldn't be like a joy. You know, it wouldn't be ice cream would just be cold. It wouldn't be like sweet, you know. And um, so he, he, he's designed us to experience life and in, in to the deepest. And part of that is through our feelings. And, and, and Jesus, when he says that, that we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, um, he's talking here about four unique expressions in loving him. He's not saying, this is just four ways of saying the same thing. And I think it's important that we realize that, that there's a distinction in this um, because what he's hitting on in these four expressions is the whole person, that he wants us to love him with our whole person. And so the heart, which we talked about last week, would, would speak to our passion, the seat of our desires, the priority of putting in first. You know, tonight we're talking about the soul, which is the emotion, the personality, the idea of being honest and being real. Um, you know, understanding that it's okay to grieve as well as to rejoice. Um, the mind is, is talking about loving him in who we think about and how we think, and what we think about. We're going to be talking about that next week. And um, the strength is uh, talking about loving him with our actions and our activity. So let's consider some examples of this in the Bible. And um, I I want to draw your attention to one and just have you guys comment on this. Um, In Genesis chapter 50... When Isaac died, we're told that his family mourned for him for 70 days. We're talking a two-month funeral here, okay? Some people might look at that and think that was weird. But when God puts this in his word, it's not in a derogatory way at all. He, and this is God's inspired word. So, so what do you think God is trying to tell us? In that statement, what do you think, Mike? I just look at the uh, the fact that God He loves us so much that He grieves with us, mm-hmm. that He designed and set forth boundaries for grieving, just to, so you can see how that works. Um, 
I also look at the fact that there's, it's such a long time because there's so much to learn from the grieving process. For me, I, I look at it just within my own life. I just, I see that the greatest times of growth, the greatest times of intimacy, the greatest times where I feel closest to God are the times where I felt the most pain, yeah. the most grief. And it's a time to reflect, you know, and God is not going to let your grief go away without seeing some kind of purpose in it, yeah. you know? So he's like, let's, let's give him 70 days to chew on this one. Not so much so that we can just feel more pain after pain, but so that we could see God for how much he loves us, how he's going to bring us through, how he's going to grow us, how we're going to be conformed to his likeness. Yeah. And you, for, you know, someone who recently, your wife passed, you're, you're living that right now. Yeah, I've, I'm living it. <laughs> and uh, I've been living the, uh, just the whole, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made work. Yeah. My power is made perfect in weakness. That's just been the story yeah. of my life. So, yeah. yeah, I get that. Either of you want to add to that at all, what Mike said about why God, <laughs> what, what do you think he's trying to tell us in that statement, they grieve for 70 days? Well, I agree with what Mike was saying about that's the time when we feel sometimes the closest to the Lord. And it goes along with what you were saying, Pastor Rob. If we, if we only had one taste, yeah. we'd only have one taste. If we don't have the emotions of up and down, how do we know? Like, otherwise, it would just be every day the same. And so we need those times of grieving to really appreciate the times of joy. Yeah. It goes together. Amen. Amen. That was awesome. I would also just add that I think what God's saying in that story of Isaac and his family grieving is that we need to give him space to work in our, in our emotions, and we need to give ourselves time and space to invite him in to help us process. We need to process our grief. Yeah. Um, and I think we have a tendency maybe as, as Americans in Western culture, to suppress um, how yeah. we're feeling and kind of put, try to attempt to put the mask on of perfection and, like, we have it all together and move forward. And I think, you know, when we do that, like has been said, we're missing out on greater intimacy with the Lord. So we need to invite him in to that process. Yeah. I think that's what we see with Isaac. Yeah, and it's interesting, um, you know, most you, you guys know, uh, February 23rd, my, my father passed. And, um, and again, I, I, I like the fact that soul is connected to our personality and the fact that we all grieve differently. And, and I've watched how everybody in our family has grieved differently as it relates to you know, my dad's passing. And we're still grieving differently. You know, like there's certain days where all of a sudden it'll just hit me, you know, or it'll just hit my wife. And, and uh, I remember when my, my um, when Denise's dad died and, uh, you know, Denise is an Enneagram too. She's a helper, you know, so she flew up to Oregon. She helped pack his house. She was in work mode. And, you know, and I remember talking to her on the phone and, and, you know, she seemed like very little emotion, you know, because she was like in work mode. She was being the, the Enneagram too. She was being the helper. You know, I'm, I'm getting things, taking care of stuff. And it wasn't until she came back and it was probably three weeks later that I came downstairs from my office and I found Denise. She's standing, it's the middle of the day at, at the dining room table and she's just sobbing. And I just looked at her. I said, babe, what's wrong? You know, and she just looked at me and she goes, my dad died, you know, <laughs> and it, but it was like almost three weeks later, you know, but it was just hit her in that moment. And I still see that hitting her, you know, in that moment, you know, you probably had your moments, right? Oh, it's, it's funny. Cause <laughs> it was just the other day I was talking to Caleb and Grace, my kids and, uh, Caleb's really emotional. We connect in that way. Cause I'm more emotional like him and Grace is just very, just no emotion, nothing. Yeah. But it doesn't make her, it's just her unique way. Right. And so we were talking, it was just funny because I was feeling emotional and Caleb came over, oh, let me just lay hands on you, pray for you. I'm like, oh, I, thank you, Caleb, that's awesome, just pray for me. And Grace looks over and just, just no emotion, no crying. And we, we had a conversation about it and I had to share with her, you know what, Grace, it's okay for you not to cry. Yeah. It's okay that you may see your dad cry, you may see Caleb cry, but you don't, if you don't cry, you're, it's good. You know, it's fine. They're, they're just, we're all unique and wonderfully made, you know, and exactly. it's just interesting to see it like firsthand like that, where 
11 year old girl you think 11 year old girl wow she's going to be the crying one she's just like you know what guys brother. I'm gonna go, yeah i'm going to go over here and uh, do some dance show or whatever <laughs> so we see from that story that god's saying hey it's okay to grieve and you're all going to grieve you know in your different way there's no timetable put on this um what are some other places in Scripture where grieving is seen in a positive light? Anybody want to jump in on, on that one? Kathy, you want to? Um, well, I think there's, I mean, there's so many times in the Psalms where David is just grieving. Mm-hmm. And I think personally when I go through the Psalms, I can really relate to how he feels. Yeah. And it it helps me to know it's okay to have that. And so the positive part is it's okay. It's normal. It, it's part of life. Yeah. So I just yeah. feel that's. I was thinking about when um, Joseph is in Egypt and his brothers are coming and they don't know it's him. And he sees his younger brother, Benjamin, who he hasn't seen, you know, in, in forever. And, um, and it says, that he looked at him and he began to, to, to grieve and it, he yearned, you know, and that's that idea of the, in the soul. I mean, he was feeling that in the pit of his stomach, you know, just that, that, that yearning for his brother and that yearning in that moment to just want to go, it's me, Joseph, you know. What, what are some other um, passages that come to your guys' mind? What do you think, Pete? Where... Yeah, I think obviously the first one that jumped in my head was, was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, sweating drops of blood, his face is in the dirt. I mean, he's grieving, he's mourning, he's realizing he's going to drink the cup of God's wrath, and, and he's grieving knowing what it will accomplish, knowing that he would be separated from the Father, but that it would be to win us and to redeem us and to purchase our souls to freedom. And you see him grieving, and you see him honestly confronting his desire with his Father to let this cup pass from me, and then he says, not my will, but yours be done, of course. And I think right there you see a great example of how to process um, grief and uh, difficult emotions um, and, and being honest and bringing them to the Father, but then saying, your will be done. Yeah. I also think of Mary um, at the tomb of Jesus coming on the third day, and she's going to grieve, and she's going to mourn. She's being faithful. She wants to, you know, she misses, mm-hmm. and then, you know, she misses her, her rabbi, and then, man, is she, is she surprised? She's blown away to, to see Jesus. And she's the first Christian. She's, yeah. she's the Amen. first convert to see the risen Savior. So, yeah, those are two examples. Cool. Any come to your mind? Yeah, I was thinking about Hannah. She came to mind because uh, she's you know, Samuel's mom, and uh, she didn't have any kids. She was bummed out. You know, she goes before... Uh, into the temple, and she's crying out, and they, Eli thinks she's drunk. You know, like, what's this drunk lady doing? And she's just, she's grieving, you know, just that, that grief that comes <laughs> from that core, that, right. gr- almost a groaning where yeah. there's no words that, that can express it. And so she's experiencing that, and uh, ultimately Eli comes out, and they, they have the conversation, and she says, it's because I don't, I don't have any sons. And um, we see that the, the picture of one, she goes before God. Like, she knows where to take her grieving. You know, I just was stoked on that part of it. Like, yeah. she took her grieving to God first, right. you know, not, even though it's, you know, it was very real. And then the, the, the positive aspect of it was the fact that Eli saw it, prayed for her. Ultimately, Samuel came, came as fruit. You know, she ended up with three sons and two daughters. Yeah. You know, you see the, this fruit from it. Um, but the reality is there was deep, deep pain, you know, in that process. And it's, it's important to note too, that, that, that took some time, you know, she dealt with that pain for a while. It wasn't just something that one day she decided she missed it or wanted a kid. You know, this is, this is something that was in her for Mm. a bit of time. That's good. And that's a great example. And I also think about, um, Jesus, you know, riding into Jerusalem, weeping and, and um, again, it's knowing, I mean, it's positive because he knows what it's going to accomplish. He knows what's coming, but he knows what's going to come from, you know, the cross. Now, I want to bring up a different, uh, another passage in um, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Um, and uh, beginning in verse 1, I'll read it to you guys. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? 
seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go, and I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And so here we see Samuel is grieving over God's rejection of Saul as king because of Saul's disobedience. And God has to come to him and say, you know, how long are you going to mourn? So what's different about that situation? This is a tough question, but I'm going to chime in. I think that Samuel, obviously the Lord had removed uh, Saul's anointing and um, had removed the blessing from Saul. And I wonder, I'm going to throw, out, throw this out to the panel, I wonder since um, Samuel anointed Saul, if he was more disappointed than he was actually grieving um, I wonder if there was maybe a little bit of pride in there that, you know, this is the first king, he's the prophet that anoints him, and then it totally fails, and you have to start over. I don't know, I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> Hopefully that wasn't my heretical. <laughs> That's an interesting, interesting take. Do you have, anybody have another thought on that at all, or not really? Or? I do, yeah, I just, uh, I, I see that as a... Uh, just the whole surrender thing that we talked about earlier, you know, the yeah. fact that sometimes plans change, sometimes people mm-hmm. do wrong things, sometimes sin enters, and God's going to readjust your plan. And unless you hold your life, your plan with open hands, like, you're going to suffer, mm-hmm. you know? And I just see him just mourning that and God saying, listen, it's not going to thwart my plans for Israel. Right. Like, get over yourself, <laughs> open up your hands and, and, and yeah. move on, you know, yeah. and, and to trust me with, right. with this, because I'm not going to leave you hanging. You know, it's not like you're not going to have any King now. I'm just going to destroy all of you guys. You know, God had a better plan yeah. ready to go. Yeah. That was the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's interesting about that too, is, is you read the text. God says, how long are you going to mourn? So it's not necessarily that, that, Samuel's mourning in and of itself was wrong, but it's like the point that you're getting at, Mike, that there was a time for him to be done with that. There was a time like, okay, hey, you know, you've mourned enough for this one. Um, I've got a plan and you've got to get with the plan. And, um, and so I think we learn from that. There, there are certain things that, um, you know, as it relates to what God is doing and how he's working, that we, we have to come to a place of surrendering, yielding ourselves to him, you know. And like you said, I like the way you put that, get over ourselves. Um, so we see in the scripture that they do grief differently um, in the Bible, but they also do joy differently. And we see that in the fact that, you know, their wedding receptions, ours last for a few hours, their wedding reception lasted for seven days. It was a whole week. It was a week-long party. And God sets up, you know, in the scriptures, these, these festivals, these yearly festivals that, that are meant to be a, a celebration, a, a party, a joyful experience. So what's God trying to tell us with that? Somebody. I like that idea. <laughs> Seven days, I know, party, yeah. Um, but it's, it is interesting to think that there are so many festivals when you read about them in, in the Old Testament and how they do go on for days. And um, it, it does show us that God, he, he loves joy. Yes. And he has a place for joy. And um, yeah, that's the, part I, that's the part I enjoy right there. Yes, I think I agree. And I, I think not only do we need to give room to process our grief and those difficult emotions, but we need to slow down and enjoy yeah. and celebrate. And I think that's what those examples in Scripture, you know, God gave the Sabbath day to rest and to delight in him. And then he gives these festivals to do the same, to rest and to delight in him right. and to experience joy because God is a God of joy. God likes to party, you know, in the, in the most <laughs> holy and righteous way. And I even think of Jesus, you know, who was... 
um, falsely accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. And yeah. what that tells me is that not that he was, of course, he was without sin. Amen. Hallelujah. But that tells me that he was around people. He was around social gatherings and he was enjoying yes. the gifts of God, like food and drink. And, and he did it in a holy way without sin. Um, but we need to take our cues from Jesus and yeah. slow down and enjoy the gifts of, of life. Yeah. This doesn't have to be a miserable, like, pick up my cross, you know. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I don't even know if that really is what it means, but, like, to pick up my cross and just, like, die, you know, just have a miserable life. I, I think the Lord wants us to, to celebrate. Yeah, I think Jesus enjoyed life. Um, I, I, I came across this analogy I thought was really good. It says, for some of us, our journey through life is like a rock skipping across the surface of a lake. We never stop for a swim or to really dive deep into life, you know? And I think, you know, Kathy, one of the reasons why I want her to be on this panel is because she's one of the most joyful people I know. And uh, I love that about her. I mean, she, she likes to have a good time. You know, she, she serves the Lord with great joy and great exuberance. And it's interesting, joy is mentioned in 38 of the 66 books of the Bible. It's mentioned 155 times in God's word, the word joy and the idea. And it's always in the positive that God's wanting us to be joyful. And so I think, you know, on the one hand, we're saying, okay, God's made us emotional people and that it's okay for us to grieve, but he's made us emotional people and he wants us to experience joy in life. And I don't know about you guys, but I, I, want, I want to experience all of that, you know? I just think that scripture in his presence is fullness of joy, yeah. you know, and, and pleasures forevermore. And we, uh, it's so important to realize that God's not a joy kill. You know, God is the God of pleasure. So often we don't think of God as a God of pleasure. We think of God as a, a God to take away from our pleasure because he's going to set us up within a boundary, you know. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, I give you boundaries because I want you to enjoy the pleasure. I want you to enjoy my presence. I want you to enjoy the joy part. And I see all these festivals, all these things just to just that awesome reminder of the fact that God wants you to experience pleasure. You know, he wants you to experience joy. And, and it's important to note that it's in his presence is the fullness That's of good. joy. I you like know, that, that, that yeah. key part, you know, yeah. just yeah. in his presence. And, you know, if we go on a vacation or whatever you end up doing, like bring God into it, good yeah. things come out. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting if you think about like our emotions and our feelings is, is like this cup, you know, and God's saying, um, you know, I want you to love me with, with everything that, that's in you, you know. So grief comes, you know, I want to I partake of that cup. You know, I want to realize, okay, hey, this is okay. You know, I, I, I feel this, and I don't want to suppress this, and we have a tendency to do that. But when joy comes, it's like, I want to partake of that cup too, you know. But again, some people are like, oh, I can't do that. I can't, you know, I can't be too happy because, you know, I mean, they, they think of it in that way. And it's so sad. You know, what were you going to say, Pete? Well, yeah, I think even, too, with that analogy, there's, you know, being joyful and, and celebrating, it's not a secular thing. Like, it's, it comes from God. Jesus said, I've come to you have an abundant life. And um, we need to take back, steal back that narrative. You know, the, the rainbow belongs to God. You know, that was his promise. You know, take back the narrative, joy and celebrating. That's, that's a part of God's design. Um, that's a part of his creation. And I think what I was going to say, too, is that, yes, God, God wants us to experience pleasure. And, and it's in his presence and it's under his lordship. Because we need, I think we need to make a distinction there because we live in a culture that's so about whatever pleases you, do it. And we need to be careful because the enemy right. will creep in there and be like, well, you know, if it's if getting drunk is, is pleasurable, you know, hey, whatever, God gave you the fruit of the vine, enjoy it. No, that's sin. So there is a there is a boundary, but the boundaries are blessings. And life is meant to be an abundant life. And we don't, I don't think we, you know, we not only experience the joy of the Lord in, you know, the celebratory moments of the life, but we can experience the joy of the Lord in the in those dark, dark yeah. caverns of the soul right. um, when he when his presence is 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 magnified in, in our eyes. And I would agree with you, Mike, the, oftentimes the most um, difficult moments, which in my life do not compare to yours, um, but the most difficult and dark moments have been the moments where there is um, the greatest intimacy, which I think equals the greatest joy. So we can't experience that, that joy and that celebration in, in all things. You know, Job says, even though you slay me, yet I'll praise you right? You give and take away, blessed be your name. He was able to turn those things around and, and, and rejoice. 
Speaking of that, blessed are those who mourn. You yeah. know, you're like, wait, what? Blessed are those who mourn. It doesn't <laughs> right. seem to make sense. It's like, yeah, yeah. And um, so I think we're seeing from this that God, you know, he wants us, he's created us, he's designed us each uniquely to have feelings and emotion and a, and a unique personality. And he's saying, I, I want you to love me in that way, the way that I have wired you. Um, and we have to, you know, repress or we have to fight against the temptation, you know, that our culture can put on us, that the church world can put on us to become sort of robotic in our loving of the Lord, our relationship with the Lord. I mean, I think about my relationship with my wife, Denise, that she would just hate it if I was like robotic, you know, just always saying the same thing, you know, always in this moment, you know, always. Um, I think that's even why, you know, when we read about like the different prayers, like we talk about the Lord's prayer that he gave that, you know, that that is, um, you know, these prayers are meant not to be become robotic, but they're meant to be kind of guidelines in a sense, you know, for us. And and um, so I want to, as we just move forward here and talking about this, um, kind of bring this around to real practical aspects of, you know, what does it look like? I'd love for each of you to comment on this, is what does it look like in practice then to love the Lord with all of our soul? And, um, you know, what, what, what does that look like? What does that mean? What are some of the ways that we can do that? Anybody? Okay, <clears throat> I'm jumping in. Um, so, so I had a, I had a little bit of a convicting moment a couple years back, and I've 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 shared it before from from the stage. But I went to a U2 concert. That's not why I was convicted, but um, I was convicted because you know I was spending good father son time with my dad, and it was always our dream to go see them. And um, and when Bono came out, and started singing, you know, the concert opened. My my emotions welled up in me of, of joy and excitement, and I was just screaming at the top of my lungs, clapping, raising my hands, jumping. And I had this, like, little voice in the back of my head um, tell me, you know, you have never worshipped me with this kind of emotion and exuberance and joy. Now, I'm not trying to be like a buzzkill or anything, but our culture, you know, we worship and we celebrate things with such deep emotion. And as, as the worship leader at Calvary Vista, there have been times where, you know, I've thought, man, the church, we're, we're, missing, we're missing something. Um, because we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We worship the God of this universe who, who created us and formed us and knit us together in our mother's womb and created us in, in his image. He is far greater and, and far superior than anything we could ever imagine or think of. And yet sometimes we worship him like a church mouse. And, <laughs> and, and we're not giving, we're not letting, we're not inviting him into the space of our, of our emotions and allowing him to, to, to speak to our hearts, I think, in those moments. And I think he deserves our highest praise and our, and our highest yeah. form of ex- expression of our emotions. So that's, that's one element of, of when we worship God with our emotions is to come with, come with, bring all of your emotions to him, bring your excitement. Or even if you don't feel like <laughs> worshiping him, be honest with him and be passionate in that way and say, God, like, I'm, this is a hard day. This is, you know, this is a hard moment. Um, you know, and we just had, we just had a, uh, you know, I had a moment yesterday with, with family, a little conflict, a little quarantine conflict. That's what we'll call it. And, um, I was starting to feel those emotions, you know, come up of, of frustration and anger. And this is one way you can worship the Lord. And is, you know, I, I, I walked out of the house as calmly as I possibly could, got in my car, drove up the, the road, got alone with God. And I was in my car praying and being very expressive with him about how I, was, how I was feeling and inviting him in, Lord, please rule and reign over these emotions. And, and then, you know, gave me the grace to go back calmly. And yeah, so there's some practical things. That's good. Um, I remember back in 1985 when I first got hired as a youth pastor here at the church. And um, I was doing... Bible studies with the junior hires. Kathy, you'll remember this um, at our little Hacienda Church 
over off the freeway. And uh, so we met outside under a little tarp because there wasn't enough classrooms. And I remember talking to these kids, you know, I'm teaching them, and, and I just felt like I wasn't getting through to them at all, you know. I remember driving home one day, and the Lord, it was a moment like you had, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, are you excited about what you're teaching these kids? And I was like, yes, I'm toy. He goes, well, act like it. Because <laughs> you know? I wasn't. I was all monotone. And because I didn't, I was feeling like if I showed any kind of exuberance and stuff, that they were going to think I was weird, you know? And the complete opposite happened. They were like, man, he's really excited about this. And they got excited about it too, you know, kind of a thing. And, and I think, you know, I appreciate that about you and your worship because uh, I think you are exuberant. Thanks. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and it pulls us in, you know, it draws us in. And um, I thought about, and you mentioned this earlier, um, Kathy, the Psalms of Lament, you know, and David, and just the idea, one of the ways that we worship God with our soul is by being honest with him, you know, and just being honest. And 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 I love that about David, um, you know, when he's just honest, he just pours out his heart and, and brokenness um, before the Lord. What, what about you, Mike? What comes to your mind about? Mine's just the uh, brokenness and, and being real with God, you know, and with uh, my wife passing last year, that was, it put me in a pretty unique spot, you know, dealing with something I never expected. Yeah. Uh, you seem to always, uh, like we talk about surrender, you know, like do we hold on to things, that kind of thing. And we each have our own preconceived thoughts of what our life's going to be like. You know, we, we each kind of have an idea and, and we all have it. Like every one of us thinks we know what's going to happen, know what happened, or, or at least we have an idea of what it's going to look like. Right. And so when you get rocked, you know, and you're like, wow, I didn't expect that. I was hoping for healing. And instead God took her, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. It, it kind of it puts a different perspective on things. Um, and so I noticed that during that time for my life, it was, one, just holding with open hands your dreams and knowing full well that, that God's good, you know, and, yeah. and he's going to give you, like I said earlier, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Like, that's been my life. Like, I get mm. that. Like, the, I've experienced it right. huge, you know, and people are like, how do you handle that? How do you handle this and come into church and like worship God? And they see it, you know, and I'm like, it's the grace of God. You know, I yeah. can't handle it. That's the whole point. You right. know, we bring our weaknesses and we bring our failures. We bring our just our grief and we bring it to God and we just go, it's, it's yours, Lord. Like, take it, you know. Um, and so one of the key aspects that I've noticed as I go through this journey has been um, a thankful heart, mm. looking at things to be thankful for. And so often we can just focus on things that are negative. You know, look at the coronavirus. You know, it's like we can just go in. Well, I'm at quarantine. My kids are bugging me. My husband's bugging me, all this stuff. But you know what? You have a husband, you know? Yeah. You have kids. Mm -hmm. You know, there's people that are suffering that lost a child. Someone may lost a spouse or so good. whatever. You know, we have things to be thankful for. And a key to, for me, of walking through that kind of grief is to look for the positives, look for the thankfulness, constantly give them to God in worship, yeah. and just... He shows up in that place, you know, that, that thankful part, you know, that whole be anxious and nothing but in all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, you know, that passes all understanding is going to guard your heart. You know, it's like, Lord, I need my heart guarded. It's going to guard your mind. You know, Lord, you need to guard my mind. It's going to guard what your emotions, Lord, I need you to guard my emotions because I'm a wreck, you know, in that thankful component is anchor to success in that realm, you know, because you're then going to God and you're saying, God, I see you for who you are. Man. I see you for your goodness. I see right perspective right now. Yeah. And I see me for who I am, you know, and I'm weak, all this other stuff, you're strong. And once we get that alignment in order, yeah. God just does amazing things, you know, just grace upon grace upon grace. It just pours out. That's so good. So good. Love that. And um, Kathy, you mentioned earlier that, you know, part of your expression is just joy. <laughs> Expound on that a little bit. Well, it's funny because I think for a lot of years I, I struggled with where I belonged because I felt sometimes in women's ministry I was too goofy or too, you know, like 
And I've always wanted to serve in children's ministry, and I always have the whole time I've been here, served in children's ministry. But that's the thing that I love so much is kids, they're always joyful. I mean, I shouldn't say always, but they, they love to be joyful. Yeah. And I love to be joyful with them. Um, but it is definitely my bend. Um, when I read my morning devotions, when I see the word joy, I get so excited. I can't wait to highlight it and underline it. It is just my band. I'm a seven in the Enneagram. Um, but I also realize that we all have to be who we are. Yeah. We can't. And just like the Bible tells us, there's a time to be joyful and there's a time to be mournful. Yes. And we have to we have to do that, too, because um, I've experienced a lot of both of these emotions in the past few years and a lot of things. Um, So, yeah, and I'm glad that that's the bend the Lord gave me. It doesn't mean that I have a false joy or a fake joy. It's not like I, you know, I've got to be happy. I've got to be joyful. It is the joy of the Lord that's my strength, which is my life verse from Nehemiah um, 8.10. And I, I really just lean towards that. But... It, it is, we need all types. Like, we can't all be a seven. We need the ones, we need the twos. And it's, it's great when we work together. And that's, that's really important. Amen. You. That's great. And, you know, it tells us in Scripture to weep with those who weep, you know. So it, it's good for us to note that. And, you know, for the sevens that are listening, you know, you never want to be like, hey, you know, like, like sometimes some people have a tendency, like they always want you to see the other side. It's like, no, this is a time to weep. It's a time to grieve. It's okay to do that. Let's do it. But then it also says rejoice with those who rejoice. And, you know, some people can have a tendency, they want to be a, a, a buzzkill, you know, like, you know, come on, you know, there's always, and I always think about John the Baptist, you know, when he was in prison and, and, uh, you know, he sends his disciples to go and ask Jesus if he's still the one, you know, or should we look for another? And Jesus sends them back and says, go tell John the things that you've seen and the things that you've heard, you know, the lame walk, that the blind see, and he, you know, lists these other things. And in essence, I think what Jesus is telling John in that little moment is, John, don't focus on what I'm not doing because that's what John was doing. If, if, if you're really the Messiah, why am I still in prison? You know, don't focus on what I'm not doing. Focus on what I am doing. You know, and we all have to learn you know, how to do that. And I think about um, this idea of you know, maybe some other examples of loving God with our soul, our emotions, our feelings, our personality. Is you know, There's some of you watching that you're bent, how you're wired is you're very artistic. And so you love him through artistic expression. And that's awesome. That's great. Others of you, you, know, you are geared in the way of helps. And so that's how you're bent, you know, and so you love the Lord with your soul by, by looking, you know, for those opportunities and in that type of way. And, and that's the beauty of the body of Christ. You know, it's how we've all been gifted. And so a situation arises and, and every person, the way that they've been wired can respond to that. And in each one of those examples, it's an example of how they're loving God with their soul. Now, in, in closing, as we just wrap this up tonight, um, I'm sure there are those who are listening, who in their personality, the way that they've been wired is, they're what we might call, they're more stoic. You know, that's just kind of their, their personality, um, which is okay. That's who God has made them to be. Um, you know, they're the person that's going to watch the football game. And when their team scores a touchdown, they're going to give the golf clap, you know, rather than the, you know, jumping up and down like somebody else might. And that's okay. That's them. That's how they're, they're, they're wired. Um, you know, I can be that way sometimes. And my wife will be like, come on, are you excited? Okay. Thing. And, and, um, so, um, what would be a word of encouragement that we could give to that person right now? Yeah. We're praying for you. <laughs> no. It's going to be okay. <laughs> no, that's not what we, exactly what we don't want to do, okay? No, what, were you, what would you... No, I would just say that, um, you know, remember this, that you're created in the image of God, that you are uniquely wired, 
he has designed you um, specifically to be you, and it's okay. You know, yes. it's okay. I'm not a stoic um, person at all, and that's okay, And because that's how God's made me. But I will encourage you with this. You know, God has given you emotions. You may be more stoic. You may not be as expressive outwardly with those emotions, but allow the Lord and invite him in. Ask him, Lord, like, what am, I, hmm. what am I feeling right now when there's a difficult moment or when there's a, a good, happy, yeah. joyful moment? You know, is to ask the Lord, Lord, what are you, how are you coming to me right now? I mean, that, that's, that's a question that all of us should be asking ourselves. How, how are you wanting to reveal yourself to me? What am I feeling? Help me process this. Again, it may not be this big outward thing, but, you know, that's a... That's a practical little tip. Yeah. And I think that's a great uh, point there about how we can grow, you know, in loving God with our soul, with our emotions. And anybody else have a, a practical idea of how we can do that at all? Well, some of my very best friends are stoic. And I'm drawn sometimes to, you know, how we go to our opposites because I feel like they might ground me a little bit more. And that's okay, too. They like, keep, you know, they keep from getting in trouble. I mean, we cannot all be crazy, right? Yeah. But, um, but I love uh, a stoic person's take on life. And sometimes, yes. so, you know, reach out to your more joyful people if you if you lean yeah. toward that because um, we can help each other we can sharpen each other like iron sharpens iron and Amen. build each other up so Amen. okay i have a funny story really quick i said i'm not stoic but um it would bother you know how sometimes we we try to suppress how god has designed us right i remember as a as a child going to middle school i was always the class clown or whatever and and just good you know and uh, the butt of everyone's jokes because you know i was just loud and annoying um and i would always in the summer over the summer break i would always tell myself like i'm gonna change <laughs> like this year i'm gonna i'm gonna cool it i'm gonna be the cool <laughs> stoic calm collected guy i'm just gonna sit in the back of the class i'm not even gonna talk to anyone and literally two hours into the first day of school just nope Couldn't you know can't do it so god god's made you the way he's made you yeah. you know embrace it i got something to add a little bit different to that whole scenario is is when I first got saved, I hated worship. I would actually want to show up after worship just to hear the word, and that was it. I didn't want to sing. I didn't want people to see me sing. I wish I could be like Pete. I'd be like, man, I wish I could have that. You know, that would be. The... But I didn't. I didn't want to worship. But as I grew in my relationship with God, I drew closer to Him, and I, I kind of learned. Wow, maybe maybe I'm going to try just you know just raise my hand a little bit, you know, right here. And I found it interesting to uh, that I went from one position to the next as I experience God in greater depth. You know, not to say that that's going to be you, like you could be stoic or whatever, but you know what? Give it a shot. Go have, have fun with it. You know, sometimes if you feel it, like just raise your hand a little bit and realize that people are so concerned with themselves that they don't really care about you kind of thing and just enjoy it. Yeah. Amen. That's good. That's good. So it really comes down to the idea of just be you, you know, and be real you know, and be honest. And, and I think another thing, and we'll just kind of end on this note, is that um, I think one of the ways that we can grow in this area is by making a point to write down the things on a regular basis that you are thankful for. Especially if you have the tendency to be always just focused on maybe what's not right or what needs fixed or what needs to change is to focus on, write it down. You know, I have to do that at times. I'll just be honest. I have to write down. I have to put it in my journal. I have to put it, you know, somewhere where I'm going to see it. What do I have to be thankful for today? And all of us have you know, so much to be thankful for. And that's one of the things that I love about David, especially in those Psalms where he does start off sometimes complaining, you know, and he's being real and he's pouring out his heart and he's like, how come God? And, you know, this type of thing. But you, you read the Psalms. It's interesting. I can't think of a single one that doesn't end in this way, but in every single one of them, it's like he turns a corner where he takes his eyes off of the horizontal and he gets vertical. And that Psalm ends with his, with, with him saying, but this is who you are, but this is why I have 
a reason to praise you. But this, you know, the, the glory in, in who you are. And so I would just encourage all of us to, as we've learned tonight, you have been uniquely made by God. You need to be you. God has wired you with a certain personality. And part of you loving God with your personality is to love him or with your soul is to love him the way he's wired you. And that means being real and honest in your um you know, emotions and in your feelings. Um, I don't want to put Mike on the spot here, but one of the things I, I love about Mike, and he just adds this really awesome um, aspect to our leadership team is, you know, sometimes Mike will be talking about something. Like, for instance, a subject that is so deep to him um, is the grace of God. And I remember when you first read the book, Chuck's book, Why, Why Grace Changes Everything. I mean, he, he wanted to buy one for every single person in the church to read. But whenever he would talk about it, he would start crying. And it just, it blessed me so much. You know, he's starting to cry right now. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> just, when it comes to the grace of God. Man, that's it. Yeah, but I love that, you know, and just in in, in being who he is and and being real and appreciating that about ourselves and appreciating that about um, one another. So, um, hey, we encourage you, church. We're learning. All of us are learning through this series what it means to love God with our whole person. And next week, we're going to talk about what it means to love him with our mind. And some of you stoic ones are going to be like, yeah, I'm all over that one. Um, but but it, it's it's really, really important for us to capture that. And I wanted to mention next week, we are going to have some virtual guest worship. Scott Cunningham's going to be joining us virtually for our worship time. And um, it's going to be awesome. You're really going to enjoy um, Scott's worship. So I encourage you to tune in, encourage you to tell a friend to join us. And um, as we close tonight, we always want to remember um, our missionaries that are um, serving God overseas in very difficult times. And uh, I want to go ahead and pray for them. And I want to encourage you um, that this is a time on Wednesdays that we like to remember our missionaries through the giving of our tithes and our offerings. And so um, they'll be on the screen, an opportunity for you to be able to do that. And so glad you joined us. Thank you, Mike, for being with us. Thank you, Kathy, for being here tonight. And Pete, as always, thanks for being here. And I uh, really enjoyed that conversation with you guys.